This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I say... It is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show about the original Star Trek series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru. I'm the TOS editor for the network, and with me today is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Doing good, doing good. That's good. Well, today, we're going to talk about a C, a C for Creator. And uh, this week's creator will be DC, another C, Fontana. There you go. C for Catherine. Yeah. I like having more than one C. <laughs> can never have too many Cs. <laughs> well, for those who don't know, DC Fontana is, uh, I, I call her the, the founding mother of Star Trek. Uh, she was originally Roddenberry's secretary, and he started giving her assignments to tweak scripts and stuff. And he found that she was a, a very good writer and ended up making her a script editor for the second season and third season of Star Trek. And uh, she's famous for adding more characterization to the script, I think. I think she is one of the few people who really understood the characters. So uh, she would take the, the famous sci-fi writers who had never seen the series in season one when it was still in pre-production, and, and taking it and adding the character beats and moments that, that make the episode special and not just the anthology show. Yeah, um, I, I think it was you who was saying on uh, the last episode of Commentary Trek Stars that like she was the person who kind of um, came up with the whole dynamic between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so, I mean, that's obviously a huge part of, of the series. She she also, I mean, she's written 10 episodes of the original series, including, yeah. I mean, we can just go down the list here. Um, Charlie X, Tomorrow is Yesterday, This Side of Paradise, Friday's Child, Journey to Babel, uh, By Any Other Name, The Ultimate Computer, The Enterprise Incident, That Which Survives, and The Way to Eden. I was going to say, it's like, great, she did all the good episodes of season three. Oh, wait, Way to Eden. Oh, <laughs> Yay, brother! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a I'm a uh, Herbert. Is that what it is? Herbert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Way to Eden does have that guy who played the guard in Silence of the Lambs, where Hannibal Lecter like cuts his face off and sticks it on his own face. Really? To sneak out of the uh, out of the the prison or whatever. Oh. Yeah, that's the that's guy. a claim to fame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, she wasn't the story editor for the third season. No, she left because she wanted to do uh, more freelance work for other shows. But she still stayed on to to write some episodes. She couldn't stay away. No. Well, she wanted to. She she wanted to write. She wanted to do what John D. F. Black has talked about. You know, where you know, write for a bunch of shows and not just one. 
But that didn't mean that she didn't want to write for Star Trek. She just didn't want to make Star Trek her full-time job. Right. Yeah. The the like we discussed before, the the opposite of what we have today where we have a writers room and yeah. you know every other episode is written by the same person or set of persons. Back then nobody wanted to do that. They wanted to, you know, write for uh, Bonanza and then Perry Mason and yeah. which would be kind of cool. I mean, if you've got the talent to write multiple genres maybe that's a lost art like like today we we put everybody in a box like you're you're the staff writer for a sci-fi show how could you write this musical television show on fox well it's also just the type of thing where i mean and this is i think one of the things which keeps a lot of like talented filmmakers away from episodic television on a regular basis which is you know if you you end up doing a show like, you know, Star Trek or whatever, let's say Next Generation, and it's wildly successful, then you're locked in to that, to, to writing only those characters for like the next seven years, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I could totally, you know, day in, day out, writing those characters. And while, you know, now, I guess, especially, it, you can build a story over that time, like back in the 60s, it's like you're writing one adventure after another, always with... Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and it's like, well, that's a great thing to be able to do. That might not be something that you want to do, you know, five times a year. So I can totally right. see wanting to do your one Star Trek episode and then go off and do, you know, your episode of uh, Mission Impossible or or whatever. You know, that makes sense. Or or then came Bronson, which is the show which she uh, got nominated for. Uh, I think a Writers Guild Award for. It's it's impressive how many shows there are out there. Yeah. Like all those television shows that did win awards that we've never heard of and <laughs> don't podcast about. Yeah. I mean it's it's get it's gotten better with, you know, well Netflix especially and everything like that, but it used to be like you look at these credits and all these shows and they just seem lost. I mean like for years, you know, when I was like really really big into Irvin Kirshner, you know, there there was an epi- a show which he had directed called The Naked City, where it was like an anthology, like crime show. And he had done like three or four episodes, I think. And it's like, man, you know, I want to see these. These sound really good. You can't get them anywhere. And then just the other day I was in Costco and they had a box set with every single episode. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like in Costco next to the, you know, produce. And it's like right here in this box next to this broccoli is like Irvin Kirshner, which I've never seen before. I mean, that's <laughs> frustrating because I don't want to spend a hundred dollars for this thing, but it's, it's, uh, it's also, you know, kind of, uh, um, assuring, reassuring that, 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 that there is this stuff available now, should you need it. Yeah. It's, it's good to know it's out there. Yeah. Yeah. That there's a market for, for pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, she wrote the 10 episodes of TOS that we went through. Um, maybe we should go through the seasons and pick uh, our, our favorite episode that she wrote. Because she wrote, looks like, three or four episodes a season. So it's it's pretty well balanced. She also had her hand in almost every script. So it's, it, you know, for the first and second season. So it's kind of, she may have contributed the best parts to other episodes. But these are the ones that she wrote the teleplay or the story for. Yeah. So the ones that she's most responsible for. Yeah, that was the big revelation in the Harlan Ellison uh, 
script for uh, for City on the Edge of Forever, where in the background they have all these uh, essays by different writers and professionals and stuff like that, and one of them is by D.C. Fontana, where she finally admits that she is the one who did the the primary or the main rewrite on City on the Edge of Forever. So, <laughs> see. And we talked about this on Trek Stars. The difference between Ellison's script and what was filmed was a lot of character moments mm-hmm. because she understood the characters. Mm-hmm. So your favorite parts of Sitting Edge Forever were written by DC Fontana, but she didn't get full credit, which is Writer's Guild stuff yeah. that I'm only barely beginning to understand. <laughs> if you've contributed over... 18% then you can get a, a with credit but an and credit takes this and a full credit takes this yeah so I think for uh, my favorite season one episode of DC Fontana Star Trek is uh, Tomorrow is Yesterday it's I think one of the most fun episodes of the first season it's it's serious it's got a good story about you know not Letting, you know, well, well, this guy didn't amount to anything, but, you know, we, we didn't look far enough ahead into the future. It's about uh, potential and, and not yet realized potential and then weird time travel aspects and beaming people inside themselves. They really didn't, she really didn't have a good grasp of time travel uh, at, at that point. That's true, but I, I would agree that that's my, my favorite episode of her season one stuff. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. Anytime that they kind of, deal with that sort of, uh, you know, I mean, at the time, you know, tomorrow isn't yesterday, they're going back to essentially their present day and to see the present day, you know, people's reaction to the enterprise and everything was, was fun. And, uh, I do kind of wish that they would have gone ahead and with their original idea to make this a, a sequel to the naked time, but Mm -hmm. oh well, missed opportunities. Yeah, and reading Cushman's book, you really understand, begin to understand the uh, they had to do them out of order. They had to, you know, things were delayed because effects weren't ready, or the script for City on the Edge of Forever still hadn't been turned in. Yeah. So, I mean, even if they had made them and filmed them back to back, there's no guarantee they would even showed them in order. Mm-hmm. And that would have been really confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We go back to the present and then we get naked time and then we go back to the past and then and then it's just an infinite loop and the rest of the series never happens. <laughs> what about for season two? We got Friday's Child, Journey to Babel, and by any other name in the Ultimate Computer, which one is your favorite? Uh Journey to Babel. Yeah. Uh I, I think that it's uh it's got the 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 intrigue, you know, the the assassin on board. It's got Andorian fight scenes. It's got uh, you know, really genuine, touching character moments between Kirk and Spock and McCoy and Sarek. Yeah, I think it's definitely a highlight of season two, and especially of of episodes that DC wrote. Yeah, I, I guess that's a good episode. That's one that always sort of fell through the cracks for me, because uh, for whatever reason, when I was watching the show in reruns, it would never come up, you know, and I'd always hear about this episode, you know, the first Sarek appearance and everything like that, but never came across it. And uh, because of that, it's never it never really sticks out in my mind. But the one that really does stick out to me is the Ultimate Computer for a lot of reasons. You know, I, I like the story and I like the theme. Um, I also like the fact that uh, 
It stars um, Percy Rodriguez, the the voice of uh, the Star Trek or Star Wars special edition uh, trailer and the Jaws, <laughs> the Jaws trailer as well. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, definitely for me, it would be Ultimate Computer. All right, and for season three, um, you can go first. We've got Enterprise Incident, that which survives which is the one where they're on a planet, nobody else is there, and there's a woman, and then she's like a hologram or something. Mm-hmm. And then The Way to Eden, which is the one with the space hippies. Anytime it comes to picking what's your favorite thing of anything in season three is, it's always really difficult, mainly to remember what these episodes are. But uh, I guess I'd have to go with Enterprise Incident, even though I don't think it's that tremendously good. Because yeah, I think it's it's got I think it's worth seeing. Like a lot of people like skip the third season of the original series. No, no, no. There's there's some good stuff in there. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like Spock playing uh, playing spy and like pretending to fall in love with the the sub commander, mm-hmm. and then being like, ha ha, I tricked you. <laughs> well, it's what one of three Romulan appearances. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So that's or cool. Two, I think their their ships are seen in another episode, but okay. Uh, I think you only see them the two times. All right, probably because yeah. it's confusing because they look just like Vulcans. Right, right. And to be fair, we don't know the whole behind the scenes story of the way to Eden because originally it was called Joanna, and it was about. McCoy's daughter mm-hmm. so I mean like Cushman was saying people are like oh you don't have to make behind the scenes of the third season no one cares he's like this is these are the stories that need to be told yeah and and I'm getting the impression from what he was saying and and just the idea of having that kind of family reveal something went horribly wrong and I want to know what happened mm-hmm yeah, and it's one of the episodes is that which survives in the way to Eden. She's credited as Michael Richards. Yeah. yeah, which means that she she wrote it, but she's not happy with what happened. Yeah, even Enterprise incident apparently she wasn't too happy with the way that turned out either, from what uh, Memory Alpha is saying. So well, what can you do? Season three, par for the course. Mm. But still, I mean, and and you know, like we were saying. In addition to the scripts which she is credited for her contribution to uh, the show on the whole during those first two seasons is immeasurable, really. I mean, she she kind of uh, set the tone in a lot of way for the for the series. You know, she along with uh, at that point, I guess Roddenberry and and well, Gene Kuhn would, would have been the the people who were rewriting these these great scripts from these great science fiction authors and making them consistent with each other, you know, and making mm-hmm. them quote unquote Star Trek. So, I mean that's that's gotta be a really hard job. And uh she obviously did it really well. Yeah. She literally helped define Star Trek. Yeah. To begin with, which is why I put her on, on Mount Trekmore. Yeah. Yeah. In in that last commentary Trek stars we did. Yeah, for sure. But her contribution didn't end, even though she uh, she ran off and tried to write for other shows. She she couldn't stay away, and so uh, she also wrote for the animated series. And she wrote a little episode called Yesteryear, 
which is the only episode worth watching, I believe you've said many times. Yes, I think that's true. Yes. Yeah, Yesteryear is um, one of the best episodes of Star Trek just in general. It's not just the best episode of the animated series. I mean, it stands on its own terms, you know, for for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, You get a lot of backstory into Vulcan culture and everything like that. And a lot of backstory uh, into Spock's uh, um, childhood and, and everything, um, and uh, it's it's really cool. Like I, I know we we did an episode on yesteryear, uh, but still, if people haven't seen it, especially if you're a fan of the original series, which theoretically, if you're listening to this podcast, you are, go out and check out yesteryear for sure, because you you won't be disappointed. It is original series through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, she ran the animated series. So, you know, I mean, if, if you if you want to to look at television in sort of an authorial sense or whatever, I mean, she, the animated series is hers, just like you know, season you know two or whatever, however you want to look at it. Of of the original series is Gene Kuhn or or all five final seasons or whatever of of Deep Space Nine or Iris Stephen Bears, the animated series was DC Fontana's, and uh, while it's not very good, it is still impressive that you know someone could create that, and I mean there mm-hmm. is certainly a lot of uh, stuff in there which is admirable the the idea that she was able to keep it very Trek-like, despite moving to a Saturday morning time slot, you know, and not not dumb it down for for the kids and all that stuff. Um, And, yeah, she's one of, what, only like a handful of people who has actually run a season of Star Trek. That right there is impressive. Yeah. So post-original series characters, she did come back to the franchise in the Next Generation era, to uh, work on a few episodes. Well, I think she was basically uh, on staff. I think she basically resumed her role as a story editor or whatever you would want to call it on The Next Generation. And then after season one, she was not there anymore. But she played an integral role in season one of Next Generation. Uh, She co-wrote Encounter at Farpoint with Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, that that this, that says a lot that after you know twenty odd years or or however long it'd been that Roddenberry would go to DC to help him write the pilot for his his uh, revival of the of Star Trek. Yeah, and then she she co-wrote the the second episode as well, The Naked Now, um, as well as uh, three more episodes, Lonely Among Us. Too Short a Season, and Heart of Glory. Which ones are those? Uh, Lonely Among Us is the one with the guys who look like uh, snakes, I think. Okay. Yeah, I could be wrong about that. Um, (laughs) Too Short a Season is the one with the Admiral who's getting old or whatever, or young. I think it's it's an old Admiral who's getting young. The crazy guy. Yeah. And Heart of Glory, I think, is the... first Klingon episode if I'm not mistaken yeah. okay yeah it's the first Klingon episode it's the one yeah where 
the Klingon dies and they all scream and, and all that mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah. And then she she did, I think, freelance more than anything else. She wrote an episode of Deep Space Nine, which is actually pretty good, from early on in the show called Dax, uh, which is about um, the reopening of, uh, I think, a murder case in which one of Dax's previous hosts was the the prime suspect or something like that. So it gets into whether or not you can put the host, the new host on trial for an old host's crime. And and by, by dealing with the issue that way, you can sort of really get into trill culture and stuff like that. And, and, Mm -hmm. uh, um, get an idea for for who this new character at the time is, and then it's also a good, you know, Trek courtroom drama, and and stuff like that. So that's that's a pretty good episode too. Well, with with Encounter at Farpoint and the Naked Now and and Dax, it, it seems like she helped define the characters of most of Star Trek, except for like Voyager. Yeah. And Enterprise, she was the one who helping, you know, here's what the characters are. Let's boil them down and uh, help define everybody. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. She's done a number of uh, Star Trek projects outside of the actual shows as well. She wrote a few video games re- recently, like within the past uh, 15 years. Um, Star Trek Bridge Commander. Do you ever play that one? I didn't play Bridge Commander, but the more I think about it, the more I'm sad that I didn't play it. Well, what 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 is it? You know what it is? It I think it was like a, a bridge simulator, like not you fly the ship around, but you know you're on a bridge and you look and uh, you command the bridge. Oh, well, that's that, that's, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Cool. I think I think it's self-explanatory. Yeah. And then she did Star Trek Legacy. Yeah, that was I've heard that was a mediocre. All right. Game. And and Star Trek Tactical yeah, Assault. Yeah, I didn't play I didn't play Oh, the DS one. Yeah. I didn't even know those had stories. <laughs> so Legacy, all five captains must face Turrell, a brilliant female Vulcan gone mad in their own eras in order to save the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, it's it was a Xbox and a PC Xbox three sixty and a PC game. Okay. All right. Well, Bridge Commander actually had uh, Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner do voices. And oh, then cool. Star Trek Tactical Assault. Oh, that had William Shatner in it. So that's pretty cool. And then, of course, her other Star Trek thing, sort of on the unauthorized level, is uh, Star Trek New Voyages Phase 2 to Serve All My Days, which was the episode with Walter Koenig. Yeah, it's the one where he, if I remember correctly, it's uh, he the aging disease from deadly years ends up affecting him. Yeah. And he grows old. So the young Chekhov actor that they have grows old and then uh, turns into Walter Koenig and then dies. Yeah. And then in the next episode, he's fine. Yeah. A little bit of a continuity error there, but you know. I, I don't I don't understand. Hey, if Spock can come back to life, why can't Chekhov? Yeah, but we devoted an entire movie to it. If if we just went, 
you know, Spock dies in Wrath of Khan, and then uh, we skip to Star Trek Four, and it's just like, oh yeah, that was a great adventure we had, you know, resurrecting you and stuff. <laughs> Star Trek Phase Two, Three: The Search for Chekhov. The Search for Chekhov. Yes, and it involved time travel and mm-hmm. Doomsday Machine. Mm-hmm. She also wrote the comic uh, Star Trek Year Four: The Enterprise Experiment, which I which I have in one of my collections and read. Oh yeah, how's and, that? And it's it's really good. What, uh, what's that one about? It's it's about the Romulans retaliating for uh, stealing for the Enterprise incident hmm. from where where the we steal the cloaking device. It's about uh, them retaliating for that. That's pretty cool. In terms of other uh, Star, well, not Star Trek stuff, but sci-fi stuff that she's written over the years, she wrote episodes of uh, The Six Million Dollar Man. She did Fantastic Voyage, Logan's Run, the TV show, Buck Rogers, He-Man, War of the Worlds, which is one of Max's favorite shows, at least season two is, Um, Reboot. Earth Final Conflict. I saw that episode of Earth Final Conflict. Not not very good, but the best episode I saw of Earth Final Conflict. Silver Surfer, um, Beast Wars Transformers, and uh, Babylon Five. So there you go. She also wrote the novelization for the Questor tapes, which was a Gene Roddenberry pilot written by Gene Kuhn and Roddenberry together. They both wrote it. Yeah. I guess the the novelization would be the pinnacle of my of my Mount Trekmore. <laughs> it's uh it's, the Questor tapes was decent. We did an episode of it on Trek Stars if you want to go over there and listen to it, but basically the the idea for the Questor tapes which was a 1974 TV movie which was designed to be a backdoor pilot for a show is what if data came from another planet or something like that and um you know was walking around it's data the series but taking place in modern day where he's like think of like if data were the fugitive that's right that's the questor tapes that that's the impression i got i watched the the pilot also yeah and uh it's interesting it's interesting you definitely see pre-data and in fact there i think there are a couple instances where they actually use uh, scenes from Questor tapes in Next Generation. Yeah, there are lines of dialogue which are taken right out of Questor tapes and used in those early episodes of TNG. So, Well, if you write a robot and nobody cares, and you write a new series and you put a robot in that one. and Yep. Whatever works. You keep going until you get it right. Yep. That's the name of the game. That's what Roddenberry did. To close, DC Fontana... Uh, I, I can't say it enough, is one of the most influential people for, the I think, the franchise as a whole. I, I, I get the impression that without DC's influence, we might have just gotten an anthology show of, you know, inconsistent characters. Uh, sure, it's the same sets with the same actors, but I, I feel that, that DC brought the, the personality to the characters and to the series that uh, I don't think anybody else would have, and and made it a franchise because you know she helped with the re- you know the next generation and and she just helped define the franchise as a whole 
and and I don't think that her contributions can be overstated. You know, in in a general sense, her job on the original series was to take this anthology show and make it work as a cohesive whole. And uh, I think she did a pretty good job with that, especially given the fact that she was dealing with a lot of people who were hired for their science fiction skills rather than their uh, character work. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, there's a lot of people who were, I mean, not not that they were bad at characters, but they weren't concerned necessarily. A lot of them weren't concerned with telling a story with these characters. They just wanted to tell a good story. And she needed to sort of bridge that gap. And I think she did it really well. And also, I mean, something that we didn't talk about, which is just kind of crazy to me, is like when she was working on the uh, the original series as a story editor, she was only 27 years old. That's oh wow crazy, but I didn't do that math. Wow, yeah, yeah, it's nuts. And and for a woman in the sixties, I, mean, I didn't bring this up. She was just a secretary. I mean, and you watch Mad Men and stuff. You, you, you get the idea that you know secretaries were looked down on and treated terribly. But the jeans and everybody saw what she could do, and they allowed her to transcend the role of secretary much much as peggy in mad men i would say she's she is like the proto peggy olsen i love peggy so (laughs) i guess it works yeah yeah i think it's on memory alpha that she's uh at the time she was the youngest story editor in on tv so that's pretty crazy especially for a woman like you're saying in that era so yeah you go dc fontana (laughs) Well, that was fun talking about DC Fontana today, but that's not the only Trek topic we're talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Star Trek 2009 5th Anniversary. So I wrote a whole big thing about all that stuff. Where's Gary Mitchell? Why are there Romulans? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and why is Tyler Perry in this movie? Earl Grey. Ferengi. Uh... Can I have a root beer, please? <laughs> <laughs> They're all examples of Ferengi Dad. not being Ferengis. So sorry, that was a terrible, terrible. <laughs> Real gray now with ninety percent more Ferengi impersonations. <laughs> the Orb. Great O'Brien episodes. You know, obviously too, I, I love the fact that that Miles is not afraid to kind of bend the rules and, and do what he thinks is right. The Ready Room. The sound of her voice. It's a masterful portrayal of the working class hero kind of thing that O'Brien is without making me feel, you know, uh, guilty and, and, with, and without coming across as too heavy handed. To the journey! Darkling rewrite. It's that awkward moment when you accidentally call your teacher mom in class. I hate to tell you, but I don't know if I ever did that. Yeah, no, me neither. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Sorry, dude. Warp 5. Lots. And you see that, I think, in, in the way that he cares for his patients and he takes care of them with what we would consider very strange remedies. And yet, he's taking care of the whole person, and I really, really like that. Commentary, Trek stars. The Mount Rushmore of Trek. No, I mean, in all seriousness, like, Chris, every time that you make a joke about Robin Leffler, I myself think, yes, he's right. Oh, wait, he's making a joke. 
Oh, that's too bad. Because he's right. Continuing mission. Star Trek Horizon. The main reason I wanted to do the movie was to close out storylines that Enterprise didn't get a chance to. I felt like it was kind of my contribution to the show that meant a lot to me. Literary Treks. Mission Gamma Twilight. I don't think that Bashir knows how to be in a mature relationship. When Ezri starts exerting her own identity more, he doesn't know how to deal with that. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. Well, if you want to contact us and let us know your thoughts on DC Fontana or, or anything, really, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose Standard Orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using a webcam's microphone, and you can talk to us and our other listeners on our forums at trek.fm forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com trek.fm, and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Well, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing commentary, Trek Stars, uh, with my friend Max, and then you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do commentary track stars off topic with Max and our friend Brandon. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D O U B L E O F I V E. And you can find me on various other places around the network and the internet. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everyone? Well, the reason why DC Fontana goes by DC and not Dorothy Fontana is because uh, she wanted to be accepted in Hollywood, and uh, Hollywood was not very accepting of women. So uh, years later, uh, there was a, a science fiction uh, author who wrote a lot of Star Trek books um, who decided to pay homage to D.C. Fontana by using her initials as well, and that's J.M. Dillard. And you can get a lot of her books on audible.com, including... Star Trek The Lost Years, which is narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And here's, here's a description of it. After the end of the Enterprise's five-year mission, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Dr. McCoy struggle to establish new lives apart from one another and the starship. The newly promoted Admiral Kirk is placed in charge of a specially created Starfleet division and attempts to defuse a critical hostage situation. Mr. Spock who, in the midst of a teaching assignment on Vulcan, finds the one thing he least expected, and Dr. McCoy, whose unerring instinct for trouble lands him smack in the middle of an incident that could trigger an interstellar bloodbath. And you can get this book for free on audible.com since you listen to Trek FM. That's right. As a Trek FM listener, 
you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial, just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. And lastly, there's one more way you can help us keep Standard Orbit coming to you each week, and that's by uh, adopting some aliens. Well, illustrations of aliens, okay. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find eight original alien illustrations by Tobolushi, who does most of the artwork you see on the website. They're available as both badges and art prints, and there are different contribution levels for you to choose from. Just let us know which you would like in which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. Yeah, you can get Andorians and you can get Romulans. So you can do you can do the Enterprise incident. You could get a Vulcan and an Andorian and and recreate uh, Journey to Babel if you want. I mean, you can have lots of fun with them. Dance them around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. action figures. They're just two dimensional. Right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landry. Mister Chekhov. Take us out of orbit, ahead, walk, factor one. Hi, sir.